Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on X at TheLinesUS. Before we get started, remember, if you want to tail or fade our college basketball bets, either way here on Outside Shots, you could do so with our BetMGM promo code, TheLines, one word, to get $150 in bonus bets with your first $5 bet. No matter whether the bet cashes or loses, you get those $150 in bonus bets with promo code, TheLines, all the disclaimers with BetMGM over at thelines.com. You could also join our Discord channel to get our bets in real time. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. We'll have betting previews up for the weekend as well. Now it's time to introduce my co-host, Stephen Andres, who is sick, and Derek Wagner, first-time co-hosting with us on Outside Shots. Stephen, how are you feeling this afternoon? A little better since I hit a golf outright last week. And typically, uh, we say in golf, you got to be aware of the sick guy that you're playing with because that's usually the guy that focuses in and takes all your money. So I'm hoping playing sick in college basketball this week gets me out of the slump that I've been in lately. But uh, if not, I'm glad to welcome you, Derek, to the show, who's been one of our awesome freelance college basketball writers. And uh, great to have you, man. Well-deserved and your first time, I think, on here, right? Yeah, yeah. First time on here, you know. Uh, been betting college basketball a lot over the recent years and, um, you know, didn't have the bandwidth during NFL season to hop on with you guys, but finally, you know, have the bandwidth now that it's over. Um, you know, just a little background. I am an Illinois fan, you know, so um, their defensive lapses lately um, do not make me confident that they're going to make a big tournament run but uh we'll see we'll see man excited to be on we got a good slate of games this weekend a big 10 team in march falling short i mean he gets it at least first sign that Derek gets it he understands how it goes last team to win a national championship from that conference michigan state also for anybody who wants to comment on Derek's jersey choice behind him justin herbert just for a little insight behind the curtain he didn't choose his Justin Field jersey. Instead, he went with Justin Herbert, and he apparently has a jersey curse going on. So any team you want to curse in your life, next five years, next 10 years, just be <laughs> sure to message Derek on Twitter. I think it's at Derek Wagner, right? On X, Derek? Uh, at DJ Wags um, with two S's on Twitter. Yeah. What's the story behind that? So... The J is my middle name, and Wags is what all my friends call me, uh, short for Wagner. Um, and it's actually pretty annoying at family reunions because all the guys in the, you know, the family on my dad's side, they're all called Wags. So, you know, whenever, so whenever someone says that at family reunions, like 10 guys look up. So um, I was really so- hoping you were like on the table bumping in the club for everybody till 2 <laughs> in the morning. The DJ no. No, 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 not a DJ in that regard. Just a middle name, you know, and uh, nickname Wags. So, all right, Wags. All right. If you need a personal trainer, you can also hit up DJ Wags on X. (laughs) And that's not a joke either. But before we get into this loaded college basketball slate this coming weekend, I just wanted to bring up a futures bet that Steve and I discussed a couple weeks ago on Outside Shots and kind of looking at some. Long shot final four, national championship features before we get into conference tournaments, believe it or not, next week. DraftKings still has a Clemson 25 to 1 out there. I think both of you guys have invested with me in the Tigers since February 6th when Jack Clark returned to the starting lineup. One of my favorite players in college basketball, honestly. But since the 6th, since Clemson beat UNC at the Dean Dome for the first time in ever, Clemson top 15 adjusted defensive efficiency. We knew that Clemson was going to create a lot of matchup problems in the NCAA tournament because they could play you five out. P.J. Hall, one of the best stretch bigs in the country. But Jack Clark, man, I can't say enough about what he brings to this team defensively. Six eight six nine frame can guard one through five, and he shut down Blake Henson on Tuesday in Clemson's win over the Panthers. Maybe, maybe sealing Pitt's inability to get into the NCAA tournament via one of the last at-large bids. But Henson, Pitt's leading scorer, six points in the game, I think two of ten shooting from the field or something like that. He was shadowing him pretty much the whole game. And Clemson, since that North Carolina win, since Clark is back in the starting lineup, 6-1. and one, And that lone loss, a one-point loss to North Carolina State, their last three losses 
have come by one point each. And another one coming against Duke, the other to Virginia. That Duke won, by the way, at Cameron Indoor. Questionable foul call. Really dooming the Tigers late in the final seconds. Dominant non-conference. Not necessarily saying Clemson can be last year's UConn, but that's still a good sign. They've handed Alabama their lone loss, lone home loss this season. We'll talk about the tide later on. And they have a potential to get a number four seed in the NCAA tournament if they finish hot. So very high on this Tigers team. Steven or Derek, any thoughts here on Clemson futures that I think you guys both have futures on as well? Yeah, I'll ride them with you, man. I mean, not only the three straight losses by a single point, but the one before that was a loss in double overtime. So, I mean, this it's they're they're on very close to basically having a double-digit winning streak right now. They do have the the marquee win in the non-conference against Alabama. Uh, we'll talk more about Alabama's defensive deficiencies here later on. But, you know, if, if we're going to go back to the, the trend that everybody likes to talk about, about being a balanced, adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency team, Every champion except for one since 1999 has finished in the top 25 in both those categories. Clemson already meets the threshold offensively, and if what you're saying about the defense is true, then there's no reason why they couldn't rise from 51st right now to inside the top 25 by the end of the season. So, um, yeah, I think, Derek, you probably agree that any team can win four games, and this team looks pretty decent as a, as a five seed at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it was a good look by Eli. Um, you know, that NC State loss was crippling. I was, you know, game casting that, and I saw that they were up, and then they just started blowing the lead. I was like, what is going on? Please don't do this, you know? Um, but, yeah, they, they got three games left, and, you know, they're favored in two of them. Really would like them to win that final game against Wake Forest because right now on Joe Lenardi's Bracketology and on Haslametrics, I think they've got him as a five seed. And, you know, I don't know about you, Eli, I do not want them on a five seed. I don't want to face a mid-major in the first round. You know, these quality teams in mid-major conferences, I don't want uh, Clemson matched up against them. So really want them winning that Wake Forest game. But, yeah, it's a good look, man. I, you know, it's I think it's going to age really well. So really curious, Eli, too, about what their futures are going to be for the ACC tournament as well. We'll see. Yeah. I, you know, if we want to talk two weeks down the road, St. John's, by the way, Steve, and I give you credit for being glass half full with the Johnnies. They have played a lot better of late. Two big wins, one coming against Creighton on Sunday. The other, a blowout win at Butler with the Bulldogs coming into that game, losing four straight. I may be looking more so towards St. John's Big East tournament futures versus Clemson just because you know, if they lose well, wait, in the semifinal, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can have your cake and eat it too, buddy. Like, I don't know if you like didn't have your coffee this morning, but last time I checked, St. John's in the Big East and Clemson's in the ACC. No, I know. I'm just saying, <laughs> if there's one team that needs to win the conference tournament or make a deep run, it's St. John's. If Clemson loses to North Carolina or Duke, in the all right. Semifinal, well, let's bet them both. Let's bet them both. Damn it, it's a free country. Yeah. I just want to say last point here on Clemson. I'm rocking the Clemson sweatshirt. First time I'm wearing it. I usually buy one piece of apparel from each futures bet. I make a season. So as you guys can imagine, my closet is pretty much full of college basketball gear. My fiance absolutely hates it, but it is what it is. She has to deal with it. And this is the best. I, I don't want to jinx anything. So you guys can crush me for it if Clemson falls apart here down the stretch, but this is the best I've felt about a future in a long time. I think Clemson has a lot of abilities to create mismatches offensively. And like I mentioned, defensively with Clark, they can create a lot of problems for the opponent in the NCAA tournament that I don't think a lot of teams, frankly, can. Well, if, uh, if I remember correctly, you didn't feel great about your UConn futures going into the tournament a year ago. So I don't know if I'm excited that you're happy about Clemson or a little nervous. But regardless, point well taken. A lot of great points on Clemson. I think we're all pretty excited about one, especially if they can get up to the four line, like Derek said. So but let's get into this awesome weekend of college basketball here. We're going to start with Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. On ESPN, Eli and Derek, number 21, Dayton at Loyola, Chicago. Haslametrics makes this a three and a half point spread for Dayton as the road favorite over under of 136 and a half. 
Looking at bracketology, projected seeds basically have Dayton right now hovering around a six coming off of that five line with uh, some recent struggles. In the 8-10, this is a big one. Dayton and Loyola tied at 12-3 and in the conference, still within reach of Richmond, who's a game ahead atop the A-10 standings. So, Eli, I'll start with you. This is a game you hand-picked out, so what caught your eye? Yeah, first meeting of the season between these two teams, Loyola-Chicago, bit of a look-ahead spot at St. Bonaventure, although the Bonnies were favored in that game, and Loyola coming into that game on a seven-game winning streak. Now, you look at this Dayton offense, and yes, they have Deron Holmes, one of the best bigs in college basketball, who can space the floor, not maybe to the extent of P.J. Hall of Clemson, who we just discussed, and Ian Shefflin, for that matter. I can't stop raving about the Tigers, if you guys can't tell. But I digress. Back to Dayton, 88th percentile in Division One in three-point attempt rate and efficiency, for that matter, one of the best three-point shooting teams in college basketball, seventh-highest three-point clip at 39.7%. In the country, and during Loyola's seven-game winning streak, opponents shot just 28.8% from behind the arc. So as you guys can imagine, that ranked in the 99th percentile in college basketball. I know Drew Valentine is a great coach. I've been high on him for a long time, ever since going back to that Loyola Final Four run back in 2017. But they were due for three-point regression. It came a little bit against St. Bonaventure. I expect a heavy dose of it from a Flyers team that, like I mentioned, can space you out. Kobe Brea, top 10 three-point efficiency nationally, and Holmes can space it. So, Derek, I know we're both Chicagoans. Maybe we would like to have bias towards Loyola if we want to maybe have some hope that the Ramblers can make another deep tournament run. But I think Dayton wins this game. My raw numbers make it around Dayton minus four. Yeah, you know, um, Loyola, what they do well is defend inside the arc. You know, they are like fifth in uh, two-point percentage allowed to opponents, but where they lack is that three-point shooting, you know. And Dayton, like you said, they can space you out really well. All five of their starters shoot over 32% from behind the arc. Like, it's insane. Um, But at the same time, you know, Miles Rubin for Loyola, he's one of the best rim, protect, rim protectors in the country. He's third in block percentage, you know, behind Cliff Amore and Josh Morgan. You know, so at the same time, you know, Dayton can space you out, but that's a tough matchup for Deron Holmes, you know, one of the best bigs in the country in Miles Rubin. So, um, but yeah, I I think Dayton ends up winning this game, and they probably end up covering because, like you said, their Loyola is due for three-point regression defensively. They've, you know, they've really been able to benefit those last seven wins. Um, so I do think Dayton covers this one. So, um, yeah, lean Dayton here. So, Eli, I can already see when the brackets come out, you know, Dayton has been ranked most of the year. All the talking heads are going to be all over them as like one of the better mid-major teams in the country projected five or six seed right now is this a team you're excited to potentially advance to the second weekend or do you see some flaws here big picture yeah I mean you look in the context of the A-10 third rated adjusted defensive efficiency but overall in division one 62nd they do play at a slow pace so that could frustrate the opponent if they're proficient in the half court with their three-point shooting and Holmes can create a lot of matchup problems like Derek and I both touched on. But teams that can slow you down and have a great defense, those are the teams that I think generate or have you know historically generated the most upsets because Dayton doesn't have as great of an upside, at least defensively. I'm not super high on them come March Madness. What about you, Derek? Um, I'm not super high on them either. You know, they rank 349th in D1 in bench minutes. They're not a very deep team. You know, they only play like six, seven guys. And when you get to the tournament, you need to have a deeper squad than that. I typically like to look for teams that are deeper and go deep, like Auburn. Um, you know, that's one of the deeper teams in the country. Um, Dayton, if they if they get matched up against a team that runs you off the three-point line, plays physical with you, that's just going to be tough come tournament time when you don't have much depth. So I don't really have a great outlook for them come tournament time. Maybe they get through the first round of the tournament, but after that, it's kind of hit or miss. 
Saturday's schedule for us begins at 1 o'clock Eastern time on Big Ten Network. Number 13, Illinois at Wisconsin in the Big Ten. Haslametrics makes this a pick So some decent home court advantage here for the Badgers. Over under 155. Projected seeds. This is kind of like a... Uh, you know, a preview of what could be a second round matchup in the tournament. Projected seeds are four for Illinois and a, a five for Wisconsin. So, Derek, I'll start with your beloved Illini here and, and let us know uh, how you're feeling about this one going on the road to take on Wisconsin. Um, Yeah, I'm not feeling very good about this. Um, Illinois, you know, defensively, they've just had lapses um, down the stretch here. I was reading this morning that after last night's game against Minnesota, they dropped from 59th to 95th in adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, you know, they're allowing Ooh. opponents to shoot 66% at the rim their last five games. That ranks in the 14th percentile per CVB analytics. Uh, they're giving up a lot of fast break points too, and that happens when you crash the glass as hard as Illinois does. They have Ty Rogers pinching down and trying to collect offensive rebounds. And, you know, Coleman Hawkins, man, I, I love him on the offensive end, but when, because he can space the floor, he's shooting like 38% from three this year. It's one of his best seasons yet. But when he sits there and complains that he gets foul called, you know, that he didn't get a foul called, then the other team leaks out on a five on four fast break. It's just, it's aggravating. So, um, you know, it's absolutely tilting. And this is a bad matchup for, them in my opinion because you have two of the best low post players in Tyler Wall and Stephen Crowell and if if you feed the paint against Illinois and get Coleman Hawkins into foul trouble like that that's going to be really hard because that's going to test their depth down low and I, I I'm gonna you know I lean Badgers in this game Coleman Hawkins has you know um you know, not shown that he can defend these guys. So I'm going to lean Badgers in this one. Eli? Yeah, my raw numbers. So I mentioned this on the last episode of Outside Shots. My biggest edge going back to the first episode of the week was Maryland against Northwestern. I mean, I was high on the Terps coming into the year, not to vent, but I'm going to have to. Two of 22 from three. At least half of those threes ribbed out, so they weren't bad shots. I could not tell you how pissed I was. Not enough a bet on Maryland in that game. How pissed I was watching does, it. Does this because... relate to Wisconsin-Illinois somehow? <laughs> yes, it actually does, because I have Maryland and Wisconsin pretty damn even in okay. my power ratings. Now, going back to the raw numbers, like I said, if you want to, you know, get a little get a little testy with me, Steven. Badgers. <laughs> Just, hey, let's go, buddy. <laughs> All righty. Badgers minus two on the projected lines. We're right around minus two. So my number a little bit higher trending towards Wisconsin. Just juxtaposed to Haslametrics. Big edge for me with Wisconsin. Derek brought up a great point with Illinois' rim defense. And if you go back to even the last 10 games, they're allowing a 64.5% at the rim field goal percentage during this 10-game stretch. Against Minnesota, when teams have scored right around 1.5 points per possession over the last 15 seasons, before the game last night, 310 and one straight up. If you couldn't tell, that's a 99.7 or .997 winning percentage. Minnesota lost the game. Illinois probably should have covered winning by double digits, but that just shows you, even though Illinois put up 1.6 points per possession, this defense is not good. Very vulnerable in the paint. Like Derek and I both touched on and Illinois opponents overall rank in the 93rd percentile and big 10 play ish. And specifically over this last 10 game span in percentage of points in the paint. Great, great, great home spot. For Wisconsin, the spot also baked into my numbers. I know some guys who use models or girls, anybody, don't necessarily bake in spots. But I tend to, and Wisconsin coming off that embarrassing loss at Indiana on Tuesday. They've lost six of their last eight games overall. The whole stadium, actually, at Assembly Hall 
had to exit because someone pulled the fire alarm. I'm not even kidding. Right when Wisconsin got hot. I know Eric was joking on X that someone should have alerted him that that could have been done because he would have done it in the final two minutes of that game when Indiana started to pull away. Now, I will say the one thing I think Illinois may have an edge in, does Dane Danger play more like he did against Minnesota? Because... That may upgrade Illinois' post-defense. He is a better post-defender than Coleman Hawkins is. But either way, Tyler Wall, Stephen Crowell, and even A.J. Storr off the dribble could take advantage of this poor, lackluster Illinois rim defense. Over the last five seasons, unranked home favorites, which is probably what Wisconsin is going to close at in this game. I would not be surprised if they close minus 2.5, minus 3 even, to be honest, but probably closer to 2, 2.5. So unranked home favorites versus ranked teams over the last five seasons, 507, 408, and 13 pushes during that stretch against the number. Now, all those three teams in those situations this week have lost, including Texas A&M against South Carolina on Wednesday night. But whether you want to lay it with Wisconsin on the early number or bet Wisconsin money line, big edge for me with the Badgers here in a monster bounce back spot. Also, Illinois potential look-ahead game with Purdue on Tuesday night. So I think the stars align here for the Badgers at home. Yeah, just one more point to what you said about Dane Danger. You know, he did give Crowell fits last year when he was uh, playing more. So I could see Brad Underwood going to a lineup with Dane Danger in there. You know, and the other thing about Wisconsin is that they're really good rebounding the ball defensively. They rank seventh in second chance conversion percentage allowed per Haslametrics. You know, if they negate the edge that Illinois has on the offensive glass, it's just going to be a long day for Illinois on the road in a hostile environment. Motivated Badgers team. I do, I do like the Badgers here with you. Every time you guys say danger, I think of that rapper from like when I was in high school and college, Mystical, and his song Danger. I'm like I can't I can't duplicate because I'm way too white to try and like impersonate yeah, that. Don't. But like that that song was everywhere, man. Danger, love it. <laughs> Your points are well taken about near proximity, though, for sure. I mean, you look at Haslametrics, Wisconsin, 37th in the country near proximity field goal percentage, and they also get near proximity attempts up at a top 61 rate in the country. Meanwhile, Illinois. 195th in near proximity field goal percentage defense. So great points all around by you guys on that one. Also at one o'clock Saturday, number seven, Kansas at number 15, Baylor. This one on ABC Hazel metrics makes Baylor a pretty decent four point home favorite here against the Jayhawks over under of 132 and a half. Projected seeds for the tournament at the moment, Kansas a two-seed, Baylor a four-seed. Eli, let's start with you in the Big 12 here. You and I have talked on past shows about some stark home road splits for Kansas, and it seems like this projected line from Haslametrics is maybe uh, showing us that again here. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if it closes a little bit higher, just like the Wisconsin game in a sense, but for other reasons, Kansas not only lost outright to BYU, closed as an eight-point favorite at some shops, but self, Bill Self also mentioned after the game that Kevin McCuller, they're kind of treating this as, and sometimes you get coach speak, so it's hard to read between the lines, especially with a veteran coach like Self. But he's treating this, he said it verbatim post-game, like Kevin McCuller isn't coming back. And that's their best two-way player by a mile. And now you come to Baylor on the road, after Kansas narrowly squeaked by Baylor the first time around at the fog, keep in mind Langston Love, who's still dealing with that ankle injury, the Bears' best three-point shooter, didn't play in that game, maybe out for this one. But either way, Kansas can't space the floor well. 329th in perimeter scoring rate across college basketball. Haslam pretty much states the same thing. They allow, on the flip side, when it comes to three-point scoring rate, the highest in Big 12 play. And that has a lot to do with Hunter Dickinson struggling, per usual. We saw it at Michigan when he was there in drop coverage. Baylor, on the flip side, second-best three-point shooting team in college hoops at over 40%. Big, big, big bounce-back win against TCU on Monday night. Derek, I'll let you vent about that one in a second because I saw on Twitter you had the horde frog. So you could take things away in a moment, but... Baylor only shot 30.8% from three 
at Allen Fieldhouse in the first game. Whether Love plays or not, I think Baylor gets right, at least in the context of bouncing back against Kansas at home in a revenge spot. Huge game also when you look at the Big 12 standings when it comes to Big 12 tournament, the Big 12 tournament, because these teams are tied for third in the conference standings right now. My raw numbers, I alluded to this earlier, make this closer to Baylor minus six, especially if McCuller doesn't play. Some metric sites like Haslam don't always account. This isn't a knock at his site. You see it across analytic sites. They don't always account for key injuries like McCuller. He may bake it in after the fact or maybe Saturday morning once the news breaks. But if McCuller doesn't go, man, I could see Kansas getting thrown around and blown out at Baylor. Yeah. Um, this is uh, a bad spot for Kansas without McCuller in the lineup. You know, uh, he was really critical for them and against Baylor the last, or no, he, he was out that game, wasn't he? Against Baylor the last time. Yeah, he yep. missed that game. Never mind. Um, you know, it's a revenge spot for Baylor, and uh, they rank 58th in adjusted defensive efficiency. A uh, big reason why, though, is because they allow opponents to shoot 51% inside the arc, you know, as per, or collect 51% of their points inside the arc, you know. Um, and that's where Kansas wants to thrive. But without McCuller in there attacking the rim, man, it's it's a tough spot. And, you know, going back to their last game, they went under screens against Dewan Harris, like, at will and forced him to shoot from beyond the, behind, beyond the arc. It was just a tough spot for him. And, um, you know, without McCuller in there, it's just I, I don't have any faith in Kansas. They're one of the worst road teams in college basketball. And going back to, you know, earlier this week, you know, I did have TCU in that game against Baylor. TCU causes a lot of turnovers, and they just weren't able to capitalize against Baylor. They were just playing this hot potato game where they threw it, back to Baylor, you know, when they tried to leak out and transition. It was just that first half sequence. I think that's what you're alluding to, right? Yes. That first half sequence, that was just maddening to watch. And then I I just stopped watching, you know, eventually (laughs) after that, it's just tilting. So, um, so yeah, this is a good spot for Baylor. I think, um, catching Kansas without McCuller, you know, um, so I lean Baylor in this game. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. In that first meeting, Baylor lost by three despite 21 turnovers against Kansas. So, I mean, Eli, that that would be my follow-up question to you. It's not like that's a surprise for Baylor, and they're not exactly one of the better teams at protecting the ball offensively. So, um, despite those concerns, you still feel pretty decent laying more than a possession here? To a point, because it it always gets to that number or that kind of skeptical line where, and we've had this discussion numerous times, Derek and I have gone back and forth about it offline as well. I'm glad to have Derek on the podcast, bringing up great points about Baylor going under ball screens because without McCuller, I mean, you're going to force Harris into shooting threes, especially if Kansas gets down and you kind of have to make up points. But back to your point, Steven, Harris is an elite on ball and off ball defender for that matter. So he could create turnovers, but, and Kansas forced those turnovers by the way, too, without McCuller still though on the road, I think it's a different story. The fog just gives you such a great home court advantage on top of the fact that sometimes the officials can lean Kansas a little bit. Well, uh, they have Lawrence, Kansas uh, addresses those officials. When they're at the I think so. Maybe, <laughs> maybe get some checks in their mailbox from, from self, oh, from wow. self after the game. Oh, real down the conspiracy rabbit hole here. I love it. Classic college basketball conspiracy theories. All right, let's move forward here to the SEC. Arkansas at number 16, Kentucky. 1.30 p.m. tip-off Eastern time on CBS. Haslametrics makes Kentucky a 17-point favorite, over-under of 165.5. Obviously, Arkansas not in the tournament picture. Kentucky still currently projected as a five seed. Derek, I'm sure you share the same concerns about the Cats that Eli and I have with their defense. Had a two-game stretch there against Ole Miss and Auburn where the defense looked much improved, and then it's looked like it's, you know, like it has for most of the season, right? So uh, I don't have a big opinion on really wanting to lay 17 points with Kentucky, even though it's in Rupp and against Arkansas, but uh, any angles for you in this one? 
Yeah, I am going to be looking towards Arkansas in this game. The one thing about Arkansas is they're one of the best shot blocking teams in the country. They average six per game. And if you go back and watch that Kentucky game the first time around, they gave Kentucky a lot of issues with uh, their shots inside the arc. They were really blocking a lot. I think they blocked nine in the game. And uh, they just affect you when you're trying to drive to the rim. And, um, you know, the other thing is that Devo Davis is going to be back for this game. He missed their last one. And he's one of the better on-ball defenders that Arkansas has. So I expect him to get... Reeves or Dillingham in this game so if he can stop Dillingham man like it's going to be tough for Kentucky to win this game um you know Davis he goose egged Brandon Miller last year in the first half of one of their games against Alabama and he just he really takes a lot of pride in his defense and I expect him to get up for this game and lock down one of these Kentucky guards um you know and then the other thing though that like gives me pause in this game is that L. Ellis, the uh, the point guard for Arkansas, he turns the ball over a lot. And against Reed Shepard in the last matchup, he turned it over five times. And Reed Shepard, the one underrated thing with him, it's not just that he gets in passing lanes and he's got good hands, he's got active hands, and he can turn you over. He, he guides you to a spot on the floor where you don't want to go, right? And he guided Ellis to the left a lot in that game, forced him left, and like, that's just, that's one of the reasons why I haven't backed Arkansas much this year is because I do not like L. Ellis. You know, he led the, he was fifth in the nation in turnovers last year with 120. So if Reed Shepard is on Ellis in this game, it's just, it's going to be tough for Arkansas to uh, develop offense with that, um, with Shepard on him. So I do, I am going to bet Arkansas in this game, but like, I do have a bit of pause with that matchup between Ellis and Shepard. So Eli uh, Ellis was here in my town, Louisville last year. And the rumor is that Arkansas gave him 800 grand to go there <laughs> to leave Louisville. Like, Holy crap. What a terrible NIL deal. Yeah. This was not Eric Musselman's finest job in the transfer portal. He's done a hell of a job going back to his Nevada days, bringing in players left and right when it really wasn't a thing until NIL sprouted it for a lot of teams, including Kansas, for that matter, getting Hunter Dickinson and Kentucky to extend over the last couple of years. Maybe not so much this one. Trey Mitchell maybe being the one exception. I'm pretty sure he got a bag from Calipari and the program in Lexington. But I'll leave that story for another day. Reed Shepard. Derek hit the nail on the head with him defensively, but against Mississippi State in what was projected to be a letdown spot. I mentioned that trend with unranked home favorites against ranked teams. By no means am I saying back the trend, even though I do like Wisconsin for a bunch of reasons. Even though the trend goes in their favor, that's not the reason why my numbers lean Badgers. But back to what we saw on Tuesday night, Shepard against Mississippi State. Kentucky winning that game outright. Steven, I think you bet the Wildcats. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But Reed Shepard off the bench became the first Division One freshman with 30 points, five rebounds, five assists, and two blocks in a game since, drumroll please, your favorite player, Stephen, Markel Fultz did it in January of 2017. What comes to your mind when I say the name Markel Fultz? Um, pain. Sharp, sharp pain. I, I trusted the process. That's that's all I'll say. No, enough said. Hashtag trust the process. Hashtag don't fool me twice. I'm done with this. I'm done with this shit, man. Back to college. Shoot. <laughs> I don't I don't blame you, but Derek, I don't also blame you for taking the points here with Arkansas. It's going to be a tough one to stomach for anybody watching or listening. Comment if you want to lay the points with Kentucky at our YouTube channel because I don't think any of us could blame you if you want to. I just think this number is going to be inflated. It, Kentucky wasn't deflated by any stretch. If anything, Mississippi State was clearly inflated against right. them on, on Tuesday night. But you look back over the last five games, including the Ole Miss and Auburn game for Kentucky's defense, with those games in mind, Kentucky still ranks in the 48th percentile defensively during this five-game stretch. So 
I don't think there's a lot to like here about Kentucky's defense. I was going to make the joke about Illinois going back to the Wisconsin-Illinois game, maybe for the second to last time. I have one more point later on the show that the Illini should actually be nicknamed the Illinois Hawkeyes going back to Iowa's elite offense of the years. You can see the the pain in Derek's face. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. But you could also make the case that it should be the Kentucky Hawkeyes because they are elite offensively, but they don't defend well, including this recent stretch when they played better against Ole Miss and Auburn with those games included. My raw numbers, you mentioned Haslam makes this game closer to Kentucky minus 17. I have it closer to Kentucky minus 12, even with home court at Rupp. Hogs coming off of the loss to Vanderbilt, like Derek mentioned, no Devo Davis in that game. You're buying them at a low point, probably their lowest point when it comes to the market, especially after losing to freaking Vanderbilt at home. Also, one other point, too, with the Hogs, they rank in the 81st percentile when it comes to opponents' fast break points per game. And Kentucky actually ranks in the 7th percentile in ICC play in opponents' fast break points per game. If Arkansas can protect the paint, which is what Derek hit the nail on the head when it comes to their rim protection, especially with Brazil back in the lineup, you leak out in transition against Kentucky, you can have success. I know maybe Arkansas's offense was inefficient in the fast break in their last matchup, but keep in mind, Arkansas didn't have Brazil or Devo Davis in that one. I know Kentucky didn't have Dillingham on the road in Fayetteville, but I think Arkansas covers here. 2.30 p.m. tip-off on Saturday. Marquette, number five in the country, at number 12, Creighton. Another awesome Big East matchup as we get ready for the postseason here. Creighton, a two-point home favorite, according to Haslametrics, over under 151. Projected seeds here, two versus three. So this is this is phenomenal stuff. Uh, Marquette currently a two, Creighton currently a three. Derek, I'll start with you. Eli and I have Creighton futures. We loved them after they beat UConn. They seem to have lapses here and there. Seem to be live or die by the three. And uh, and Marquette, you know, we've had concerns about depth. So now they face each other here. I don't I don't have a strong opinion here, but I, I can't wait to see this game. Yeah, this is going to be a good game. Um, the one thing um, is that Shaka Smart, you know, as an underdog, this is going to probably be a thing come Saturday. You know, a lot of people are going to do this. Uh, at Marquette, he is 21-9-3 ATS as a dog. Um, you know, a lot of people are just going to blindly bet into that, and I'm not saying to do that, um, you know. So, but, you know... <sighs> Marquette has won the last three games in this series, so it's a tough spot for Creighton, and it is a revenge game for him. So I do expect Creighton to, you know, get out and play a little bit better. They're motivated to win this game. Um, you know, in their last matchup, they allowed 19 offensive rebounds to Marquette. You know, if they didn't do that, they win that game outright, you know. Um, and Marquette had 18 second-chance points off those rebounds in their last game. I just don't really expect them to do that again. And... Creighton, what they do well is they run you off the three-point line and they force you into that mid-range game, right? And I expect them to do that more so in this game, and they'll probably knock down a lot more threes in this game. Um, Ashworth, you know, he he really struggled in that Marquette game, and he's a bit Jekyll and Hyde away from home, right? So he plays a lot better when he's at home. He, I think he's shooting like 39% at home uh, this year behind the arc, where as opposed to on the road, he's shooting like 31%. So whenever you back Creighton, you have to hope that they're sinking those outside shots, right? Because they just, they shoot so many of them and there's high variance with that. So um, I do lean Creighton in this game. I'm probably not going to bet it though. So, Eli, your thoughts? I'm right there with Derek. A lot of the same things in my notes, so I won't duplicate it. But Igadaro going back to the first matchup, nine offensive rebounds to Derek's point. Usually, rarely an issue for Creighton when it comes to cleaning up the defensive glass with Cockbrenner and even Baylor Shireman, one of the more underrated rebounders in the country, even at the offensive end of the floor and creating second chance shots. To that point, though, and to the point about this being a really good spot for Creighton and a huge game, not only for the NCAA tournament seeding purposes that Steven brought up, but these two teams currently 
number two seed and a number three seed, Marquette being the two, Creighton being a three in the Big East tournament if it happened today. So it could conceivably flip-flop down the stretch because after this game, Marquette has UConn at home, revenge game, yes, but still theoretically could lose to the Huskies for a second time this season. And then you go to Xavier, which is never a easy place to win at, even though the Musketeers are having a down year and Sean Miller could be already having one foot out the door at Ohio state. Then again, Greg McDermott could also be doing the same thing. He made some questionable comments. I thought earlier in the week when reporters asked him about his future at Creighton, because I think he's gone either to Ohio state or another program with a ton of NIL money after this year, to be honest. But Kind of similar to the Kansas-Baylor game in the sense that I make this game Creighton minus one despite the spot. Line is probably going to close three, four in the Blue Jays' favor. So I'm not advocating to bet Marquette, and you're going to get a lot of people on the dog like Derek brought up. It's not a spot where I'd be looking to bet Marquette, not a spot where I'd be looking to bet Kansas, even if Baylor gets steam like they probably will if McCuller indeed is out. So you're betting on three-point variance from Creighton one way or the other. And if they shoot lights out, they probably blow out Marquette at home in a revenge spot and trying to get that number two seed come the Big East tournament. Not a game I'm really interested in touching, but should be a hell of a game to your point, Stephen. Absolutely. Let's move forward then to the Big 12. Number eight, Iowa State at UCF. 4 p.m. Eastern time tip-off on ESPN+. Plus. Haslametrics makes Iowa State a five and a half point road favorite over under of 134. Uh, currently projected the Cyclones a three seed in bracketology. UCF not in the tournament picture. Derek, anybody that follows DJ Wags on, on X knows that you've been high on Iowa State here for a lot of the season. But I also know that playing at UCF has been a tricky spot for more than one team this year. So very curious how confident you are in the Cyclones in this spot. Um, yeah, it's it's not a good spot for them, right? Because their home away splits are pretty awful. They play good at Hilton Coliseum, but then, you know, they rank 361st out of 362 teams in Haslam metrics away from home metrics. So, like, they're really, really bad on the road. It's t- just terrible. So... Um, you see that with a lot of teams, though, in the Big 12. And where you see it with Iowa State is you see their dip defensively. You know, on the road, opponents are shooting over 38% on, behind the arc against them. They're just getting clean looks on the road, right? But two of those games, though, came against BYU and Baylor, and I think Baylor shot over 50% against them. Um, but I do think UCF is catching Iowa State in a good spot here. The Cyclones have played two really physical games recently against Houston and even Oklahoma last night. In the first half last night, Oklahoma really caused issues in the first half with their physicality and just not allowing Iowa State to get clean looks inside, which is where they want to do what they want to do. And, you know, the length of Houston really bothered Iowa State a lot in that second matchup, too. So um, UCF though they're they're tall like they can defend inside um the arc uh really well they only allow opponents to shoot 45.2 percent inside the arc that's top 20 in d1 and that's where iowa state really thrives they score 54 percent of their points there they're not really a good three-point shooting team right so they feast inside the arc um so and you know they UCF has that seven footer Diallo and that's just, that's a matchup night nightmare for Robert Jones and them. So, um, the one thing that does give me concern with UCF here is Lipsy and his, uh, uh, ball pressure against Darius Johnson. He turns the ball over a lot. So like, that's a bit of a concern here, but I think I am going to turn around and back UCF in a game that's probably going to get pretty physical and the Cyclones don't really handle that well. So, and another point though, like Taman Lipsy, he's really struggling on the offensive end lately. I think he's turned the ball over 10 times the past three games. He, I don't know what's going on with him, but I, I'm starting to have concerns about Iowa State in general on offense because he's turning the ball over. He's not shooting well. I, I have big time concerns with Iowa state. So um, I think I'm going to back UCF in this spot. So 
Eli, are you home dog or pass as well? I make this game around Iowa State minus four, so not a big enough edge to advocate to bet that Knights, but I will say a lot of the matchup stuff that Derek brought up is definitely valid. And not only is this a potential letdown for the Cyclones because they just played in two pretty physical games against two physical teams, but two-game lead on Baylor and Kansas for the two-seed in the Big 12 tournament. How much does this game really matter when you're unlikely to catch Houston for the Big 12 regular season title? And it's not like UCF has a chance to make the NCAA tournament unless they run the table in the conference tournament, but they are playing better of late, coming off back-to-back wins over Texas Tech and at Oklahoma State when the market was all over the Cowboys on Wednesday night. And by the way, over that two-game stretch, they attempted 55 free throws. So, Derek, I know you brought up that Iowa State's ball pressure could give them some issues. But outside of Johnson, UCF does a decent job of taking care of the basketball. And Allen, the UMKC transfer, is really, really good at getting into the lane, which could be an issue against an Iowa State team that does allow the opposition to get to the free throw line. And they are physical, but to what point does that cost you, especially in a game where maybe the effort isn't to the utmost degree like it was, even though they lost the game at Houston, they covered and they covered and were able to hold that Oklahoma offense in check. Much different team on the road, which Derek hit home. I'm talking about the Cyclones. So not a big enough edge per my numbers, but good spot, not only situationally, but when you look at the matchup at the offensive end for the Knights. Saturday night in the Big Ten, Michigan State at number two, Purdue, 8 o'clock Eastern time tip on Fox. Haslametrics makes Purdue a nine-and-a-half-point home favorite, over-under of 143. Purdue, of course, projected to be a one-seed right now. Michigan State a nine-seed, so, you know, in theory, a potential second-round matchup here. I'm going to kind of give you guys my take here. This is the game on our show this week that I have the strongest opinion on. This sets up nicely for Michigan State to to stay inside double digits here, in my opinion, if they just change their shot selection a little bit. Because Michigan State, on the season, 28th in three-point percentage against the average opponent, 28th in near-proximity field goal percentage. Purdue defensively, that's where they're weakest. Believe it or not, they are 256th in near-proximity defense, which doesn't make a lot of sense when you have Zach Eady, but... That's that's the number. Um, it's they're really good in the mid range. They're fifth. The Boilermakers are in mid range field goal percentage defense, and that's where Michigan State typically takes most of their shots. They are two hundred eighty first in three point attempt, one hundred eighty third in near proximity field goal attempts, but they're thirty ninth in mid range attempts. Even though it is by far their worst field goal percentage offensively of those three types of shots. So I'm hoping that the presence of Edie scares them away from some more mid-range shots. They chuck up a few more threes because they're pretty good at it when they do. And we stay inside the number here. And and also just for for Purdue, they don't protect the ball, Eli. Like they're they're eighth in Big Ten play and turnover percentage offensively. So that's when they get into trouble, right? We've seen that they're still susceptible to upsets in recent weeks here. And you know, Michigan State, at least on paper, is a pretty well-rounded team, even though their current seed doesn't really match it. 41st in adjusted offensive efficiency, number 13 adjusted defensive efficiency. I think 10 would be too much here, Eli. I don't blame you for touching Michigan State. I make this closer to Purdue minus 8.5, minus 9, even accounting for really good home court advantage at Mackey. Michigan State forcing the third highest turnover percentage in Big Ten play, and that's an area where Braden Smith is still struggling to limit turnovers, seven of them over his last two games. And A.J. Hogard is one of the best on-ball defenders in this conference. So I would expect Izzo to drape Hogard over Smith and probably get that number turnover-wise closer to three or four. Yet again, for a really good point guard, I know Smith was upset he wasn't on the koozie list, but... Got to limit your turnovers, man. The one thing I disagree with you on, and it's not to say that you shouldn't bet Michigan State because my numbers say you should. I don't know if they should take less mid-range jump shots here. It really depends how Matt Painter wants to play this 
whether he looks to use Edie and drop coverage or not. He did it against Ohio State on the road. Granted, that was on the road, and Purdue, I mean, teams in general can struggle more so on the road. That's not any sort of exception for the Boilermakers this season, even though they did cover and came back against Michigan despite the Wolverines' hot start in the first half on Sunday. But Tyson Walker could take advantage of Edie in drop coverage. Now, if you want Michigan State to take more threes, you probably need to ask Izzo to play Xavier Booker more minutes. He only played him 17 minutes against Ohio State. That's how you stretch out Edie if you want to take more threes. You have to have a five that could space the floor like Michigan did in both of their matchups with Hunter Dickinson against Purdue last season. So it really, really depends on how Painter wants to play this with Edie on top of the fact that how is Izzo going to game plan? Are you going to limit Booker because you think Sissoko is a better big for the 500th straight game? Even going back to when Booker wasn't on this team, I know Sissoko is a better matchup against Edie on the block, but at some point you have to play freshman. Like we haven't seen this issue. Michigan State, granted, hasn't been strapped with this issue since the Jaron Jackson year. Like we're going back to Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson when he was playing those freshmen a ton. You have to play Booker more minutes in this game. Yes, I'm talking to you, Tom Izzo, because we both know he's watching and listening to the Outside Shots podcast. I'm sure he'd be thrilled to hear that, by the way, if he did happen to somehow hear it. Uh, Derek, are are you in agreement with us that if you're going to bet a side here, it's probably the dog? Yeah, yeah, I do agree. The one thing that I'll mention, though, is that is a it's a bit of a tough spot for Michigan State because Purdue has had a week to prepare for this game. You know, they haven't played since last Saturday, I think. So, But Michigan um, State hasn't played since Sunday off of two losses. That, that's true. That's true. That's true. So, um, you know, Purdue, though, they're, they're due for some negative regression from 3-2. They've tallied, you know, a 40% clip in Big Ten play and 40% clip over their last five games. But according to shot quality should be closer to 34%. So they're due for a little bit of negative regression there. And defensively, the Spartans don't allow many open threes. You know, they rank 70th in the country in that regard, according to shot quality. So they don't allow many open threes. And to your guys' point with the turnovers, you know, um, if you turn over Purdue and their guards, you you can win against them. You know, you saw Nebraska do it. They turned them over 14 times, you know. If you can, if you can turn them over, you can turn the tides in your favor and probably win the, these games against Purdue. They, I think that uh, Ohio State got them too in that regard. So to your point, Eli, with AJ Hogard, you know, if he's up for the task and you know creating t- turnovers, I, I could see uh, Michigan State covering this game. The one thing, though, um, I don't think I'm going to bet this game because. You know, I, I kind of don't want Michigan State to win because then I'm going to have to hear that Izzo in March stuff, you know, <laughs> this weekend because it's, you know, it's March and it's Izzo time, you know. But, um, you know, they haven't made the Final Four since 2019, you know. I'm, it's just getting exhausting having to hear that Izzo in March stuff. So at the same time, like, <laughs> I really don't want Michigan State winning this game. So... Um, I'm going to sit this one out, but I do agree that the side here is Sparty. Also, one last last point for me. Similar, this is the last comparison I promise I'm going to make to the Illinois-Wisconsin game. Similar to the Illini and their look-ahead spot to Purdue on Tuesday night at home in Champaign. Purdue also, I know they've had a week to prepare for Michigan State, but two days later or three days later, you're taking on Illinois, who still has an outside shot of winning the Big Ten regular season title. So interesting to see where Purdue's mindset is in this game, and it's going to be a big number. So I do not hate your bet, and I wouldn't be surprised, man, if Michigan State wins this game outright. Top spot in the SEC on the line Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time tip-off between number 4 Tennessee going on the road to take on number 14 Alabama. Haslametrics makes Alabama a small one-point home favorite over under of 167, so it should be an entertaining offensive game if that is any indication. Tennessee projected two seed, Alabama projected three seed at the moment. Derek, I was really impressed with Tennessee against Auburn. 
took a ton of punches from Auburn there. Home court maybe was a big factor there. Connect got whatever he wanted against a pretty good Auburn defense. I, I just think this is the more well-rounded team. I know they're going on the road here, but I mean, Alabama's got big red flags on defense. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Um, I really like Tennessee in this spot. It is, you know, a revenge game for Alabama after their loss to them last time around. But Tennessee is an absolute matchup nightmare for Alabama. They don't allow a lot of open threes. They're 18th in the country in open three rate on defense. They're just and they're just a matchup nightmare. And they defend the paint really well too, you know. And Alabama's defense, they rank 99th in defensive efficiency in Ken, in Ken Palm. But they're just getting shelled against these top offensive teams in the country, right? All seven of their losses have come against offenses that rank in the top 20 in terms of adjusted offensive efficiency. And they don't bl- they don't block a lot of shots like they did last year when Betty Ako was there. They're not their rim protection is terrible, you know. Uh, Grant Nelson, you know, he's fine, um, but he's not, you know, he's not Betty Ako in that regard, um, you know. Uh, this is a tough spot for Alabama. I do lean Tennessee and Zakai Ziegler, man, he's a tough matchup for Mark Sears. He's one of the best on ball defenders in the country. I think he, I think he turned over Sears like seven times in their last matchup. Like when, if you can take Mark Sears out of the equation, it's, it's really tough for Alabama to generate offense, you know, and Zakai Ziegler can do that. So I, I, I'm going to have a bet on Tennessee in this game. I do think that they go on the road and win. Um, you know, granted, last game against Tennessee, you know, Alabama, you know, they rank eighth worst in the country in their away from home metric on Haslametric. So it wasn't much of a shocker that they went on the road and lost against Tennessee. So um, I am going to have a bet on Tennessee in this one. So, Eli, uh, I-, I might play a prop here, too. I know not everybody has access to props on on college basketball players at their sports books, but if Dalton Connect's going to be still lined at 20 and a half, 21 and a half in this game against Alabama's defense, which is what his season average is. I'm going to have a hard time not betting the over here. And if you're in a state where you can't get props at your sports book, you can always do underdog college basketball picks. And if you don't have an underdog account, you can use promo code, the lines to get a deposit match up to $100. So your thoughts overall on the game and maybe also that, that connect over on points angle. Yeah, he was incredible against Auburn. Just to go back to Wednesday night, we're recording this on Thursday, so it's definitely fresh in all of our minds. 25 points in the final 12 minutes of that game. Mm. Auburn scored 21, so he outscored the Tigers by himself. And the issue I have with the Tigers, just big picture and kind of looking at the SEC as a whole, when Jani Broom gets switched onto guards because connect took advantage of that a few times down the stretch and also hit some difficult shots that I don't think it was an overstatement. What I tweeted out X'd out, even though that sounds weird to say, I don't think anybody is hitting that shot against Jalen Williams near the baseline in the final, what 10 minutes of that game, ridiculous shot making the best pure shot maker to me in college basketball, the way he's transformed his game into a lottery pick is truly unbelievable. But Back to this game, a lot depends on the injury front for me with Alabama. Even though I make this game around a pick, depending on the injury status of Latrell Wrightsell, I would still consider, not necessarily advocate, but consider taking Alabama on the money line depending on where this goes. The market could trend in your direction, Derek, and Stevens, to your point too, with Tennessee. If Wrightsell misses this game with a concussion, but if he plays... Alabama was a bit of a different team when these two teams squared off in Knoxville the last time around. Wrightsell was playing, didn't have the concussion at that juncture of the season, but wasn't getting nearly as many minutes. He's their best three-point shooter, A, and B, their best on-ball defender. Still a couple inches shorter than Connect, but I'd be curious to see how Connect does against him in this matchup. Alabama going back to Wednesday night. They won. They covered at Ole Miss without right cell in the lineup and like you mentioned Derek Tennessee blew out Alabama in their first meeting tied with 22 turnovers so Sears with seven of them and you look at Alabama's transition defense it ranks just above the division one average so if you turn the basketball over you're going speaking about Alabama get picked apart 
with the opponent's fast break opportunities. Now, with that said, one last thing with Alabama's offense, especially if Wrightsell is in. Tide shot 421 from three in their first meeting. Tennessee doesn't allow a ton of open three-point shots to Derek's point, but if Wrightsell plays, I would expect that efficiency to jolt up at home in a game that could decide the SEC regular season title, but keep in mind, both teams have some tough games. Whoever wins it on Saturday night, Tennessee goes to South Carolina, granted a revenge game for the Volunteers in that one on Wednesday, and then Alabama goes to Florida. So if Alabama takes care of business at home against the Vols, they are set up for doom against the Caters because Florida has had that one circled for a while against the Tide after losing that one in overtime last week to Alabama. I'll say it again. Clemson, the only team to knock off Alabama at Tuscaloosa this season. Go Tigers. But, Stephen, that's my look ahead to this one. Uh, raw numbers say Alabama money line, but really depends on right sell status. Fair enough. And we're going to wrap up this week's show with a West Coast special here. And fair warning, this is not an East Coast dad-approved game, but it is a college basketball junkie-approved game. That is for sure. Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time tip-off. Number 23, Gonzaga, on the bubble. First four in, first four out on a lot of bracketologies right now. Needs it bad. At number 17, St. Mary's. Haslametrics makes the Gales a three-point home favorite, over-under of 139.5. St. Mary's projected as a six seed right now with their unbeaten record in conference play. But Eli, you have an injury you want to note on here, right? Absolutely. Joshua Jefferson suffered that season ending knee injury going back to a few games ago. And keep in mind when these two teams squared off at the kennel, terrible officiating down the stretch in that one. So, you know, Gonzaga is going to have their eye on revenge here. Jefferson played all 40 minutes, 16 points and 10 rebounds. So it's going to be tough for St. Mary's to replicate that and what he means to the Gales at both ends of the floor, especially when it comes to cleaning second chance opportunities up and limiting them for the opponent. That said, St. Mary's, when you look at their overall body of work, even without him, they don't allow a ton of second chance shots. But those three games without him on the floor have come against pretty weak West Coast Conference competition. So keep that in mind. Like I alluded to, Gonzaga lost this first meeting by two at home. Horrific, horrific officiating down the stretch. Even you saw Gonzaga fans throwing, I think, food or trash onto the floor in the final couple of minutes. Yeah, what was that, that by the way? Like, come on, Zags fans. Like, how spoiled can you be? They deserve it. I think they had a right to be pissed off. Not saying, listen, we're not going to have the court storming, throwing crap onto the court in late game situations, but you know, the officials may have had some money in their pockets. Not, not that I have any room to talk. Like I've made every smart decision when I was a college kid. Like, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) That's fair. But looking at Gonzaga in this one, especially at the defensive end, even with their event spot in mind, they've struggled to defend ball screen sets all season long. And that's where Bennett and St. Mary's offense thrives. And that's been his, bread and butter ever since he took over, got the St. Mary's job, what, a decade plus ago. So even with Jefferson out for the rest of the season and in this game, St. Mary's ball screen offense with Mahaney, especially when he doesn't pass it off in those sets and pulls up in the mid-range, was really efficient in both of those or all three of those games against Gonzaga last season, especially when St. Mary's came back against the Zags at home and won that game in overtime. But Bigger question for Gonzaga offensively, are Nolan Hickman and Ben Gregg going to be efficient and space the floor well? One and nine, they combined from behind the arc in the first meeting. So Gonzaga fans, to your point, Stephen, maybe you shouldn't throw trash on the floor and direct your attention to two of your best floor spacers. Maybe they should have hit some more perimeter shots to help Gonzaga pull off that win as a home favorite. But I digress. I don't really have a take in this one. Raw numbers-wise, I make it around... Gonzaga pick-ish, maybe close to St. Mary's minus one. So edge to Gonzaga, but it really depends on how Gonzaga plays in the half court and if Hickman and Greg are more efficient. Yeah, Derek, I'm curious to see like how quickly this gets steamed, if at all, 
towards Gonzaga because of the injury um, or if the home court is still going to weigh in here and we might go the other way. I'm If I had to guess, I think the injury is going to be a big deal in the number we get here when it opens and the sharp money is going to recognize that. So um, I guess I'm just curious, you know, I've talked to Eli about not being great at recognizing spots in college basketball. Like I am, I am more of a numbers guy. I go into the weeds and I fully admit that that gets me in trouble a lot in college basketball. I mean, I know this is on the road, but Gonzaga has got to have this or they're forced to win the conference tournament or basically not get into the dance. That's kind of my read on it. If they're currently basically last four in first four, a first four participant here, this is their last shot at a, at a big win before they have to get it in the conference tournament, right? Yeah, you know, this is the this is the spot, right, for Gonzaga. They need this one more than St. Mary's needs it. They absolutely, you know, they, they, they have to have it. And the one thing that's going to drive this game home is dictating tempo, you know, of course, because St. Mary's ranks 358th in length of possession on offense, where Gonzaga ranks 38th in length of possession on offense. They want to get out and run, but St. Mary's... Last time around, I think they held them to one transition bucket, you know, like, or I think it was actually one point. I think it was scored at the free throw line. So, and that, that's the problem for Gonzaga is that when teams slow them down, they, they really struggle, right? UCLA slowed them down back in November. The Gales did it in February. So if you can dictate tempo against them, you're going to beat them. And if you're going to try and get out and leak, leak out in transition against them, they're more than likely better at you, better than uh, in transition than you are. So it's a tough spot. Um, whoever dictates tempo is going to win this game. If Gonzaga can turn St. Mary's over and do that press, um, and turn them over a bit, they probably got a good shot to win this one. But, um, I'm probably going to look for a live spot if St. Mary's gets up early and I'll probably look for a better number to back Gonzaga. Um, but, uh, the tempo in this game is just, it's, Two vastly different teams. So it, if St. Mary's dictates tempo, it's going to be a tough game to watch, you know, because it's going to be low scoring. It's going to be slow paced. It's it's not exactly going to be fun. So um, lean Gonzaga, the spot here favors them. So I, I'm with you. I'm with you on the Gonzaga, but I'm probably going to look to live bet it. Guys, I'm going to close things up here with three simple words. It is March. Woo! Let's go! It's time, boys. Everything we do with the Lions completely free. College basketball is one of our favorite times of the year. Eli and Derek do a phenomenal job with their articles and their game previews, their analysis. They're having conversations with our community in the free Discord. Top right-hand corner of the Lions.com homepage. Get in there for March. It's not just them. It's a bunch of other community members who are sharing great insight, great analysis, conversations back and forth celebrating wins together as these things happen it's awesome and i can tell you we got a couple other surprises a couple other toys coming to the site for this year's ncaa tournament as well for eli hershkovich for Derek wagner aka wags i'm steven andres thanks so much for watching this edition of outside shots we'll see you next week